If you have your Bibles, I invite you, if you would, to join me in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. So we are continuing on in our sermon series and coming really to the conclusion of the section that we have been in for quite some time since the beginning of the year as we are continuing to talk about the notion of discipleship. And again, if you're our guest, I just want to say welcome. If, you, if this is maybe your first time with us, we'd love for you to fill out, if you would, a, a Connect card so that we might know how we can better connect with you in ministry. If you're online, I'd invite you to, to jump on our website, and you can go to the, there's a page where you can set up a visit us and send us a link or a, a, that, fill out the form that's there so that we can know that you're with us and how we can uh, minister to you and answer any questions that you have about the church. But this morning, as we are gathering together and finishing up this, this time of discipleship, I was uh, thankful, um, Pastor Mike, that you led us in that passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians. Uh, and it's amazing to me to see how the Holy Spirit works together and knits our hearts together as we're praying uh, alongside of one another for the same uh, directions. And so this is the, the season, um, as we're talking about, of lamentation. And, and that passage of Scripture there just um, brings to mind, I, I've been hit, it seems like, uh, spiritually a lot just this past week and reminded of the significance and the, and the uh, importance as a pastor of prioritizing my own personal relationship and health with the Lord. As this past week I've been reading about the fall of yet another prominent uh, evangelical leader in the church. Uh, as, as reports are coming out about decades and years of predatorial abuse of women and we've seen another prominent leader within the church fall. And in the name of Jesus Christ and the, church, in the name of the church of Jesus Christ suffer in this time. And, and it reminds me of how important it is that as we are, are talking about this question of, of discipleship, and last week we asked the question of how do we define greatness? And a few weeks ago we asked the question, who are your role models? Who are you modeling your life after? Who are you following in their footsteps as you are pursuing greatness or success? And we have to be careful about the people that we're following. And we have to always constantly recognize the reality that any time that we have a mentor or an example or somebody that we are, are looking up to as an example, any time that that is a human being, understand that you are following a faulty, failing example. And so instead, we have to ask that question, who should we be following? What patterns should we be following? And what is an example of, of true discipleship? And that's the question that's asked of this passage of Scripture is, what does a true disciple look like? What does a true disciple do? And we meet an example of a true disciple in this passage of Scripture in this man named Bartimaeus. So look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. As we read Mark's conclusion to this, time, this, this section in his, in, his, uh, in his gospel where he has been talking about discipleship. Jesus is with the crowd, and so it says, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. We thank you, Father God, for the examples of those who've gone before us, of men and women who have faithfully followed in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We thank you even, Father God, I thank you even now for those failed examples. As they serve as warnings, guard posts, if you will, guard rails of going off the path. I thank you that in your faithfulness and in your grace and in your mercy, that grace and that mercy is always more than all of our faults and all of our failures. And so this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our ears, make us attentive to this example of discipleship, a defiant disciple who refuses, Heavenly Father, to let anything keep him back from Jesus and refuses to let anything hold him back, Heavenly Father, from following after him with all of his heart and all of his life. I pray that we would be motivated. That we would be moved this morning by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ who's always willing to stop for sinners. Sinners just like me. I pray that you would guard and keep this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. So as I said, since the beginning of the year, we've been in this section in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has essentially been intensely training his disciples, the crowds that are following him, on the meaning of discipleship. What does it mean to follow after him? And in doing so, he has been training them not just about what it means to follow him, but in training them to follow him, he's talking to them and training them about his mission as the Messiah. And he's confronting all of the misunderstandings that the disciples and the crowds had about this person who is the Messiah. They had faulty understandings and expectations as they were looking for some military leader, some political powerhouse that was going to come in and was going to dominate the Romans and kick them out and establish this military uh, might, in uh, this presence in the Middle East that was going to be unconquerable. And Jesus is reconditioning them, if you will, in the true mission of the Messiah, as is expressed in the prophets. The first half of the Gospel of Mark is dominated by the question, who is this man? There's this mystery as people are continually asking the question, who is this who has such power? And Jesus is constantly displaying his power, and he's speaking in parables as he is pulling back the veil on the, of, of, on the secret of who he is. And at the middle point of Mark chapter 8, the answer is revealed, he is the Christ the long-anticipated king of the Jews. And then the second half of the Gospel of Mark asks the question, okay, who this is, is the Messiah. What is the Messiah supposed to do? And so we see that he is the king in the first half of the Gospel of Mark. And in the second half of the Gospel of Mark, we see that he's the king who suffers. He's the king who's come to serve. 
Just last week, we saw that passage of Scripture that really can be a theme of the entire Gospel of Mark. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Who he is is that eternal Son of Man, the title that's been given in the Old Testament, and what he's come to do is to serve to, by, and serve by sacrificing himself for the salvation and the, the life of others. And so he has been training them in that, and in doing that, he is coming into conflict with all of the selfish tendencies, this inward-focused tendencies of the disciples. He confronts their self-preservation and their sense of self-promotion and their selfish ambition, and he calls them out of that into sacrifice and into humility and into service. That's the path that he's walking in front of them, the path that he's calling them to walk, and the path that they just seem blind to. As again and again, they fall and they fail and they miss it. They're arguing with one another about who it is that is the greatest among them. Who's the one that's going to be in charge? If Jesus is truly going up to die, who's going to be left in charge? It's got to be the greatest, and it's got to be, so that means it's got to be Peter, right? Well, James and John, they go around Peter and the rest of them, they come directly to Jesus and say, hey, we want you to go ahead and just settle the matter now and put us in charge. And their selfish ambition gets in the way. And because they're so self-centered, they can't see the value of the people that Jesus Christ places value upon. And so there's this fledgling ministry that's off to the side that's attempting to serve Jesus Christ by serving others, and they're clearly working in the power of Christ by casting out demons in his name. But because those people aren't of the twelve, they don't have the right credentials, they're not really with Jesus, they haven't checked all of the boxes and checked with all of the committee chairs and done everything that's necessary to establish their ministry in the church, they are squashed. The disciples say, no, 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 you can't be doing that. And then there are the parents who want to bring their children to Jesus, seeking his blessing upon them, and they rebuke the parents because children are a waste of time. And they neglect those that Jesus would call them to value. And they value the ones that don't love Jesus at all. As they let in that rich young man who was great in their eyes and it was great in the eyes of the world, but that was far from the greatness of the kingdom of God. And so you have this young man who comes to Jesus Christ convinced of his own righteousness, in love with the things that the world has to offer him. And when Jesus challenges him to go and give away everything that would prevent him from loving Jesus with all that is of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and follow after Jesus, the man goes away sorrowful because the cost of discipleship was too high. His failure to achieve greatness in the kingdom of God left the disciples and the crowds rattled, asking the question, who then can be saved? If the rich man can't be saved, if his, his wealth is an obstacle to his entrance into the kingdom of heaven, who then can be saved? And the answer is in the verses that we just read. The answer is found in Bartimaeus the cast aside and the marginalized who's left out, silenced and oppressed, shut up and shut down. He is the one that becomes Mark's 
example of true discipleship. Mark, they come to the climax, and he summarizes this entire subsection of, of the Gospel of Mark on the, the training in true discipleship with this story. The story of this man, who is a foil and a contrast to the failures of the disciples and the failures of the rich man as he displays for us what it is that true disciples do. And the first thing that we see is a true disciple has faith in Jesus Christ no matter the obstacle. I wonder what went through Bartimaeus' mind the morning that he positioned himself here on the Jericho Road. Was it just another day to him? Was it just another normal day? Or maybe he was a little bit excited because after all, this is the time of Passover, right? So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We know that where Mark is going is we're going to his crucifixion and that happened at the time of the Passover festival. So it was the time and the season and the festival that every Jewish male was commanded by God to come to Jerusalem. So pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem. And all of the the Jewish pilgrims from the north were coming through Jericho in order to get to Jerusalem. And one of the central important tenets of Jewish religion was almsgiving, giving to the poor. So maybe Bartimaeus is super excited because he's got all of these people who are coming to the most holy celebration in Jewish life at that time. And so he's maybe excited and anticipating that they're going to be a little bit extra generous. And so he's in a good mood. And he gets out there. Or maybe he is dreading another day of a bunch of selfish, self-righteous, pompous individuals who are going to look down on him and insult him all day long as he sits there on the side of the road and they march their way to Jerusalem with all of their sacrifices. And maybe he's left there a little bit depressed. Until he hears that the person that's in front of him that's passing by isn't just some self-righteous, pompous Jewish individual, but it is one specific, righteous, holy, generous individual. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And somebody tells him, and when he hears the crowd and he hears all of the hubbub, and he asks maybe, or he hears somebody say that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And immediately Bartimaeus' heart leaps inside of him and he begins to cry out, but he doesn't call to him as Jesus of Nazareth. He calls to him, Jesus, son of David. And in that cry, we hear his faith. As he understands who this Jesus is. This is the only time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Because Mark was probably writing to a Roman audience, Gentiles. And son of David was particularly a Jewish title for the Messiah. Bartimaeus is a Jewish man sitting on the side of the road. So he calls out to Jesus with this Old Testament title for the Messiah, Son of David. Because he knows, as every good Jewish individual would know, that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised to David that one day a son, a descendant would come from from David, and that son would be a son to God, and God's favor would never leave him, and this son of David would be the Messiah. And so in this, he calls out to Jesus as the Messiah, declaring Jesus to be the Christ. And up until this point, Jesus has quieted anybody and everybody that would give hint to his true identity as the Messiah. But he doesn't hear. 
And Bartimaeus calls out to him as Jesus, the son of David, and he asks him, have mercy on me. We hear his faith in the title that he gives to Jesus. We hear his faith in what he asks of Jesus. Would you have mercy on me? He not only believes in who Jesus is, he believes in what Jesus can do. Because the Old Testament had prophesied and promised in Isaiah chapter 35 that when the Messiah would come, this is what would happen under his ministry. Isaiah 35, 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So Bartimaeus is crying out to the Messiah to have mercy on him, to look upon him, to pity him, to heal him. He believes that Jesus can meet his greatest need. But not only does he believe that Jesus can do this, that Jesus is able to heal him, he believes that Jesus is willing to heal him. Despite all of the obstacles that stand in his way, as he is making a spectacle of himself, as he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him says, shut up. Be quiet. You're making a fool out of yourself. Stop it. Be silent. Have some respect for yourself and the people that are around you. And still he doesn't care. And he calls out all the more in defiance to everyone who would shut him up. He screams even more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. As he's desperate, and as he believes that Jesus can and will do this, despite the fact that the, maybe the disciples but the crowd are shutting him down and shutting him up, because after all, how, if Jesus doesn't have time for children, how can he have time for this dirty beggar who's blind, after all, because God has judged him for his sin? That was their anticipation, that was their understanding just go look at John chapter 9 at the man who was born blind. And even the disciples ask, who sinned? Is this man blind because of his sin or because of somebody else's sin? Blindness was seen as a judgment of God upon a person. So Jesus doesn't have time for a dirty, rotten, sinful beggar. That isn't true. Because whereas the world sees a sinner, a poor and lowly beggar, as insignificant, Jesus sees his faith and values him as an image bearer of God. And whereas the disciples in the crowd are still struggling to follow, by following the earthly examples of success and greatness, Jesus is sensitive to the kingdom standard of greatness. And so when Jesus hears this man's faith in his cry, he stands still. The ESV translates it, he stopped. But the Greek is literally, he stood still. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he has told the disciples now on four separate occasions, when I get there, I'm going to die. He is living now in the shadow of the cross and the sacrifice that he is going to make for your sins and for my sins. His mind is already heavy with the burden of what is going to happen in the week to come as he is going to march into Jerusalem, as he's going to defy the leaders, as he's going to purify the temple, as he's going to be arrested, betrayed, tried, beaten within an inch of his life, and hung on a cross where he's going to die. That is what he sees in front of him, and yet he stands still for this man. 
and he calls him. And all of a sudden, the mood of the crowd changes. And they run to Bartimaeus, and they say, take heart. Be of courage. It's the exact same phrase that Jesus said to the disciples when he was walking on the water, and they were terrified because they thought it was a ghost. And he climbed in the boat, and he said, take courage. Be cheerful. Get up. He's calling you. And he doesn't just get up. He leaps up, throwing everything aside. And this blind man comes to Jesus. The last time we saw Jesus heal a blind man was at the beginning of this section on discipleship, and this blind man is brought to Jesus. But here, I don't know what happens, but I think that it's pretty important that nobody brings him to Jesus this time. He comes to Jesus. He runs to Jesus in his faith, trusting no matter the obstacle, no matter who it was that tried to shut him up, no matter who it was that told him he didn't matter and that he wasn't important, despite all of the evidence of the time and that his condition was permanent, despite everyone's efforts to, to try to, to walk past him and ignore him, despite it all, He believes in who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus is willing to do something, and he believes that Jesus is able to save him. And a true disciple of Jesus Christ has faith in Jesus no matter what stands in our way. No matter who would shut us up. No matter who would shut us down. No matter what science may say. No matter what our experience even may say. We believe the words of God. We believe the truth of the gospel. What obstacles are you letting keep you from Jesus? What are you allowing to shut you up and shut you down and keep you from Christ? Maybe it's your sins. Maybe you're afraid. And you don't believe in your heart of hearts that God could ever love a sinner like you. And so you're afraid and you're letting your sin stand between you and the God who is willing to wipe your sin away. Maybe it's the sins and the failures of somebody else. Maybe it's a church leader. Maybe it's your husband or your wife, your father or your mother. There's somebody in your life who is a failed example of what a Christian is supposed to be and you're letting that person's failure stand between you and God. Here's the struggle with that. When someone is between you and God, that someone is closer to God than you are. And that's not where they need to be. What obstacle are you letting stand in your way? Are you allowing fear to stand in the way of your faith? Because you don't know that Jesus really has the ability or the power or is willing to give you what you need in this life and in this season of your life? Are you struggling with your faith and you're allowing that to be an obstacle between you and Jesus Christ? Are you proud? Are you trusting in your status or your own righteousness or your own abilities like the rich young ruler was? Are you not desperate enough to cry out to Jesus Christ? Because you're trusting in your abilities instead of trusting in Jesus. What obstacle is there in your life that you need to surrender completely to Christ today? That your way may be clear before him. 
But true disciples don't just let obstacles not, don't not let obstacles keep them from Jesus Christ. A true disciple of Jesus Christ follows after Jesus no matter the cost. This section of the Gospel of Mark began when Jesus told the crowds in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He called to them, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's essentially what discipleship is. Our mission statement as a church is to make, shape, and send faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is following after Jesus. That's what Jesus has called us to, to follow in his footsteps, to follow the path that he has laid before us, to follow his example. And he has been calling the disciples to d- deny themselves and to follow them, or follow him. And it's fitting then that this section ends with a man who follows Jesus. After Jesus affirms Bartimaeus' faith. He urges him to go his way. It gives him permission. And if you go back and you read through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does this over and over. When he performs a miracle, when he casts out a demon, when he heals somebody, he sends them home. And almost all of them go. We know that there were some that began to follow him, some that went and they told of his, of his greatness and his power and his ministry around the world, but most all of them go on their way. They go back to their life, back to their family, back to normal. But not Bartimaeus. Jesus tells him, go your way. And what does Bartimaeus do? He defies his former life. He defies anything and everything that would keep him from following Jesus. And his way is now Jesus' way. So God, Jesus says here, go your way, and immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed Jesus on the way. And Bartimaeus goes from a man who is beside the way, beside the road, to a man who's on the road with Jesus. And the first thing that he sees when his eyes open is the Messiah that he has placed his faith in. And many scholars believe that the reason that Mark gives his name and names him as Bartimaeus is because his audience either knew him or knew of him, which would imply then that when he went with Jesus, he stayed with Jesus, and he became a disciple of Jesus, and he became a member of the church of Jesus. He became a brother in Jesus. He became an example to all of those who came after him. He went with him to Jerusalem. He was among the crowd, was, and he was perhaps the one that was leading the chant in just a couple of days that we'll see next week as they entered into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the Son of David. And he followed him into Jerusalem, and he saw him confront the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And he would have seen him hanging on the cross. And he would have seen him raised again in glory. The Messiah. And to see this, to be a part of this, he had to be willing to abandon everything. The rich young ruler was not willing to give up anything. Bartimaeus gave away everything that he had. The cloak that would have been what he covered himself up at night, what he would have laid in front of him so that he could collect those alms, he casts it aside and anything and everything that was on it, and he runs after Jesus. doesn't say that he goes back for it or the money or anything else. 
Matthew tells us that there were two blind men who were calling out to Jesus. Perhaps Mark and Luke don't mention the other one because only Bartimaeus is the one who stays. As he abandons his old life, any semblance of a life that a blind beggar could have had, he leaves his friends, he leaves his possessions, he leaves everything, and he follows after Jesus no matter the cost, even though the destination is the cross and persecution and death. There can be obstacles that keep us from getting to Jesus. There can be costs behind us that are holding us back that we need to cut the ties from. What are the costs of following Jesus that you need to embrace? As Jesus commanded his disciples, count the cost of following me. This time of Lent, historically through the church, was not just a season of preparing a person's heart to understand their sin and the suffering that came at the the cost of Jesus' death on the cross, but it was also typically a season that they set aside where they would train up new believers, new converts. They would begin to teach them the Scriptures, to teach them the essentials of the faith. They would drill them and question them and prepare them for the cost that was ahead of them because on Easter Sunday morning was the one day out of the year that they baptized. And they prepared them for that day of declaration where they would stand in the waters of baptism at sunrise, naked as the day that they were born, staring into the darkness of the West. And they would declare out loud, I repent and rebuke the life of sin and darkness that I was pursuing. And then they would turn around in the water and face the sunrise and declare, I'm now following after the Son, Jesus Christ, and my life is His from this day forward. And then they would be baptized. Abandoning everything and setting aside the cost. Have you counted the cost of the discipleship of Jesus Christ in your life? What do you need to set aside? Your ambitions, your dreams, your expectations of greatness for yourself and for the world. What is holding you back? What are you unwilling to let go of? Maybe you're unwilling to let go of the control that you think that you have over your life. And so you're holding on as tightly to that last vestige of control. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. When the gospel calls us to let it go and lay it down and let Jesus be in charge. And trust him. Trust him with the outcome of all of the relationships that will have to change to trust Him with the outcome of all of the sins that you can turn away from and how you need to address that, to trust Him with all of the changes that need to take place in your finances and in your life moving forward, to trust Him with all of those people who have hurt you and harmed you so that you can believe in the the call of Jesus Christ to grant forgiveness and peace as you have been forgiven. What are you unwilling to give up to follow after Jesus? What idol is there left in your life that you need to give to the Lord? It can be bad things. It can be sinful things. It can be an addiction. It can be good things. 
It can be a job, a good, healthy family, well-behaved kids. All things that God commands. But when we turn good things into the most important things, we've turned them into idols. We've turned away from Jesus. We've turned to ourselves. A true disciple has faith in Jesus no matter the obstacle and follows after Jesus no matter the cost. Bartimaeus is an example of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only example that we should put our faith and our trust in. As the one who's walked the path perfectly, whereas you and I will constantly fail. And all of his successes stand in the place of all of our failures when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. How do you need to trust Jesus more today? How do you need to follow after Jesus more this week, this year? How do you need to turn from yourself and turn towards Jesus? What do you need to lay down to follow after him? I invite you, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes and go before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. Ask him to reveal what it is that's holding you back from a life fully devoted to Jesus as a faithful follower. Then ask him to give you the strength and the wisdom to lay it all down, to cast it all aside, to run to Jesus, and to follow after him from this day forward. Take a moment in prayer, and I'll close this in a moment.